Hello guys, welcome to a brand new episode of The Film Angle. My name is Chris. And I'm Alex. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited because we're going to talk about a really, really big movie uh, this week. One that I've been really excited for a long time. And no, it's not Barbie and it's not Oppenheimer. That's going to have to wait till next week. Um, yeah. We're, <laughs> so we're, we're on the verge of the release date on this recording. We're both very hyped. We, uh, you know, we booked yeah. our tickets for Barbenheimer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're seeing, that- you're seeing Oppenheimer f- first and yep. Barbie second. And I'm doing the opposite. But that's Absolutely. not a choice. That, a that, choice. I think that'll be interesting to discuss that whether, you know, like. It yeah. has any effect on this double bill. Yeah, I, I guess, I think Barbie's probably, I actually do think it might be the better way because maybe it's something light to start off with. I don't maybe want to be, I, I'm expecting Nolan's Oppenheimer to be very, obviously quite encompassing and quite heavy and something that you think about for days after. So it might be really nice to have Oppenheimer just to sit on and not have that juxtaposed with another really contrasting movie afterwards. But I think I can compartmentalize anyway. I think there's no wrong answer. I think as long as you're supporting both of those movies, which a lot of people seem to be excited for, um, then you know you're you're good in my books. To be honest, I don't think you should be choosing one over the other. These are both going to no. be really really exciting films to they catch are, up with. They are propping each other up. It's like this really nice kind of solidarity of marketing where we're yes. kind of propping up these two films, and I think they're both going to be pretty big. Um, and and it's really nice in a way uh, to see that. I'm I'm not sure. Obviously, the studios might feel the same way, um, but I just I, I just think it's nice. And the fact that we've you know us as a collective society have turned this into this like completely strange double bill that everybody has to go to. I think it, it is like incur- a once in a lifetime event. I I don't remember anything like this before. Yeah, I think it will encourage more people. Um, to see both films, but I think more importantly, maybe it might encourage more men to see Barbie. Uh, not yeah. that we were ever not going to or anything like that, but I, <laughs> but I think there's there's less, you know, less of that kind of toxic masculinity shame in going to see Barbie when it's like part of this weird juxtaposed double bill. It, it, um, it does exist though. Still, I mean, if you go into the recesses of YouTube, there are ranting um, <laughs> um, men on. YouTube sort of like waving the flag of that this is like feminist propaganda and uh, yeah, oh, I have and no doubt. The, I mean, it's it's completely people are it's makes it it's so funny to me whenever you tell people who maybe aren't in the know and say to them, "Oh, I'm really really excited for the Barbie movie," and then just see the reaction on their face as it curdles, yeah. and you're like everybody just taking it at face value. I mean, we've all seen the trailer. We know that this is going to be more like a Truman show-esque sort of thing where a fish out of water it's going to probably knowing Greta Gerwig being behind the camera it's going to be a lot more than just a a Barbie um, Mattel sort of collaboration it's going to probably hit on some issues and uh, also just be really really fun and self self deprecating and all that sort of stuff and Ryan Gosling is just going to be you know (laughs) Ryan Gosling so I'm really really that's what I'm excited for more than anything this weekend so yeah absolutely I predict. I predict. I think that uh, Barbie will cross the billion dollar mark. I just. I've got this Ooh, feeling. I, there's a I, chance. I, yeah, and it uh, might be one of the only films to do so. Has any? I don't think any others have this year. Have they yet? No, I don't think. No, I don't think so. This I mean, summer's been. What Spider Man across the Spider Verse? Like, I mean, that's got to be. Probably... I don't think it was hitting a billion, but it was doing well. It was doing well. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I just, I just feel like there's something about Barbie is that we don't see. Um, 
Well, we do see some expensive led uh, female led films, but they tend to be more in the superhero world of like, look, the girl's doing it just as well as the guy kind of thing. Yeah. But Barbie is so unashamedly feminine that I think there's like there's something joyous about that that you just don't see a lot of money being spent on a like a blockbuster of this of this kind. And I think that'll bring people out. I'm getting my Actually, pink t-shirt I, wet ready. I, I'm ready for Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> you're a good company. I I think that the real comparison is maybe comparing it to the Super Mario Brothers movie. I mean, I think that's the movie that probably I crossed. I must have crossed a billion, right? That's got to be one of the biggest hits in year. Oh yes, that did. Oh, I completely forgot that came out. This year. Yeah, uh, which I which I caught up with actually the ever the other day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> meh. At most, like, yeah, oh, no. I mean, it's it's really played by the... But you contrast it with Barbie, and it's just really cool to see that a sort of collaboration. We're seeing a lot of third-party organizations like Nintendo, like Mattel here, kind of collaborating with movie studios. And it's so weird that we live in this era now where we see these sort of banners before a movie now that gets, you know, produced by Mattel, you know. And it's mm. really interesting to see, like, how much of a risk they're taking on their own brand but maybe it's not i mean it seems like the best marketing tool in history that they're making fun of themselves and yeah uh, yeah so yeah so excited i feel like we're we haven't barely mentioned oppenheimer i'm i am equally so excited for that movie too especially with the rapturous sort of reception it's been receiving um i'm a big you know Christopher Nolan fan. Everybody, I think everybody on this waking earth is a fan of at least a couple of his movies. Or so. at least can respect. Or at least can respect, yeah. yeah. Can yeah. respect yeah. the craft, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a, a really exciting weekend. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we will, you know, by the time you guys are listening to this, we'll have already seen this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? We might not be able to contain our excitement if they're good. We've got uh, pink shirts ready videos, to go. Keep keep an eye on uh, all our socials and stuff, but yeah, no, I'm I'm very excited, very excited, and they obviously, you know, they they got their 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 marketing in before the strikes, which we touched on last week, um, and, and very much support. Um, I don't know if we mentioned that. I think we just discussed it last week, but we very much discuss everybody getting paid what they're worth. Strikes are cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, Alex is is definitely you. Just like you're just attracted to strikes in general. <laughs> you're 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 um, you are the movie Athena as a human embodiment. Fair pay for everyone, man. <laughs> no, I have total agreement. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. We're still kind of following where that is at the minute. It's sort of still ongoing, of course. So we'll kind of keep following that and keep you guys updated on what's going on there if you don't already know i'm sure you already know anyway you don't need us yeah. telling you. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um sh- sh- shall we shall we get into yeah i was uh, going to talk about mission impossible dead Reckoning yeah. part one is the movie that we're talking about today um a huge movie i mean we like like indiana jones that we talked about the other week you and i both have a massive respect for tom cruise in this in this franchise and this is a particularly interesting uh, franchise because it sort of was one thing um, in the early 2000s and then kind of re-transformed itself when number four, Ghost Protocol, came out. And sort of, it's kind of been a consistent wave of pretty great movies since then. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, consistently good. They've kind of got their thing down now, which is like big, big stunts. Tom uh, running. Usually done for real. Um, and And, you know that kind of excitement on the big screen looks great. 
uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I come from a very different perspective on the Mission Impossible films just because I, I, I didn't, they like I knew of them, but it wasn't until about uh, two years ago now that I actually watched. All I completely of them. forget that. I just feel like you've yeah. always, you've always, I've always feel it like when I act- talk to you about Mission Impossible, it seems like you've always, you've always known them or seen them. Well, yeah, it was actually because of the trailer for Mission Impossible Fallout, um, and I, and I, I think I was working in the cinema at the time when it came out, but like previous to it coming out, I just saw this trailer on the big screen all the time, and like. The trailer for Mission Impossible Fallout is brilliant. And I was like, man, I want to see this film, but I've got five films to watch before (laughs) it. And I just decided, screw it, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna watch these films. And um, yeah, no, I I I very much enjoy them. It is a pretty much consistently good series with a couple of like really, really standout, excellent films. Um, but always consistently entertaining. And uh, yeah, I do think Fallout is probably one of the best action films of this century i think it is uh i think it's brilliant brilliantly brilliantly done so are we saying already off the bat here that dead reckoning part one is not quite up to the league that fallout is in or um is it just as good are we on that constant formula of we're upping ourselves every time here it is for me thoroughly entertaining thoroughly thoroughly entertaining uh, but no, it does not reach the heights of Fallout for myself. I would agree. I think Fallout is the the perfect Mission Impossible movie because just its sheer the filmmaking prowess, how it kind of really changed the tone of Mission Impossible, and kind of I think it was the perfect sort of embodiment of where Ethan Hunt really is in this journey of him, him as a character. This sort of the high stakes of the one life for the many lives. I think Henry Cavill is such an an awesome presence in that movie actually a really underrated villain in general and mm-hmm. the set pieces are just incredible there's no real ounce of fat and it strings the plot along really really well and connects the dots without really making you you know some some of the previous i think rogue nation was a little bit of a victim of getting a little bit too bogged down in getting you from uh, exposition heavy and getting you into the next set piece so I think Fallout's the perfect version of that. Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, I loved. I did. I did really like. I think it's. I think it's my second favorite of the franchise oh, so wow. far, and um, I think it just fulfills the promise that Fallout really um, gave, and, and just consistently giving you those nail-biting um, action set pieces, and really just carrying on with the characters, uh, and well, and adding a lot more characters here. Actually, um, we get a lot of. Interesting new um, additions. I think uh, Healy Atwell playing new character Grace is a really, really fun addition. I think, you know, I loved her in the Captain America series and uh, she really uh, holds her own against uh, Tom Cruise in this. And I think for me, the standout performance of this, even though it's um, a kind of minor one, and well, not minor, it's, it's a very silent role, I think is Paul Clemente. Ah, yes. I think uh, playing the character of Paris, who is this sort of... Uh, sort of like female heavy henchman character but she is so honestly like 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 she's having a maniacal time of her life there's this chase sequence uh, going through rome where she is in this heavy suv vehicle chasing after ethan hunt and healy atwell um and it is so cool just to see the react how she reacts in those moments. Like she just belongs in a Tarantino movie. Unsurprisingly yeah, I- though she she loves Tarantino, it seems <laughs> And also, like, she does a lot with quite a little. Uh, yes. 
and and that's not against the script itself. Like she is a kind of silent henchman. She almost has makeup like a mime at one point, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, but like considering this was Mantis in the Guardians of the Galaxy films, like here she is, you know, just completely, completely different. You wouldn't even recognize her as the same actress, and that's obviously a credit to her acting abilities. Yeah, but yeah, she's completely menacing, um, which which is great. Yeah, um, but the plot, I guess, is kind of your standard Mission Impossible stuff, but with a little bit of twist. I think. When you go into a Mission Impossible movie, you're not like the first thing you're thinking about is I wonder where, what the plot's going to be. I wonder what the espionage factor of this is going to be. It's more about the set pieces and how you get to them and if they are sort of satisfyingly kind of connected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Though th- with this one, like you said, like the previous Mission Impossible, Impossible films, like, I-, I can barely remember the plot of half of them. I even I watched know. Fallout for like the third or fourth time the other day. And I was like, I just remember how good the action is. I don't fully remember what the plot is. Um, but here, there is quite an emphasis on the plot. I would say this is the most plot-heavy of the Mission Impossible films. And in doing so, it's kind of its weakest element for me. Okay. We we obviously lean, and, and just you know straight-up spoilers for anyone, please go watch Mission Impossible. They reckon it's really good fun, is worth seeing on the big screen. Spoilers, as always, when we review these big films, it's just pretty difficult to not talk about things. Uh, but yeah, the villain here is AI, essentially. Um, the entity, yeah. The entity, um, which uh, can be controlled potentially uh, with a key that unlocks its matrix or something. Similar to uh, Dial of Destiny, where we were looking for two keys that uh, make one bigger key. Yes, very true, very true. Um, and we do have a very, very, gr- like, probably my favorite opening of all the series of, um, like, this Russian submarine that has oh, the yeah. entity on it, and they're testing it out, essentially. Um, and the entity almost tricks the Russians into blowing up themselves in a really, really uh, brilliant sequence. that's like, completely tense and just, like, completely mm. out there as well because it doesn't involve um, Ethan yeah, Hunt. Yeah, it kind of harkens back to the the 90s when we were getting movies like The Hunt for Red October or Crimson Tide and it feels like you know like a submarine movie for about 10 minutes yeah but that did also like leave me with a little bit of confusion of just like everybody is fighting to control the entity in this film uh-huh. uh, everybody wants to control the entity but we've seen from the opening scene that the entity can't really be controlled okay that's interesting but I, I think I think I think maybe that's maybe what part two we'll explore a little bit more yeah but Um, there's a lot of exposition in this and it usually boils down to the computer is why we're here (laughs) why are you here the computer made me do it (laughs) what what are we doing here it must have been the computer (laughs) yeah yeah i mean but uh, when we say, say that out loud though alex and it seems like oh it's completely ridiculous i mean even the fact that this thing is called the entity but the fact of the matter is, when you're watching it and you're in this sort of world that like Macquarie and 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 Cruz have kind of conjured up, you kind of just you kind of go nod along, go yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Like I don't ever really find it ridiculous. It's laced with ridiculousness anyway. It's part of the fun. But oh yeah, but there's I, a lot of scenes trying to explain it. Would you not agree? Like there was there were. I, I, I think of every Mission Impossible movie, and I'm like, ah, oh, 
Whatever. But they were so, they, some of these scenes were really extended that I was just like, dude, <laughs> we need to move on. I'm bored of the talking because the talking isn't done very well. <laughs> oh, I, I, it's hard. It's hard for me to agree though. I, I I felt the same way. I didn't feel like it was any more than the usual Mission Impossible movie. Obviously, this is a lot. This is the longest movie by far. But I th- I felt that it was you know done the right way i think i was kind of on board with the whole thing i think it just comes to a matter of your your sort of tolerance for that sort of dialogue um i think i was just so excited to be in an imax uh, cinema to be watching this thing and, and the score um from lauren balf and i think his score when he he was sort of introduced in fall light and i think that's one of the highlights of that movie for me where it really took the core element of the mission impossible theme tune music and really just made it really sort of heavy and very orchestral and almost Hans Zimmer like adding all these sort of native drums in here I mean you get more of that back here too and I think like the music is such an undersung hero of what makes these newer movies so successful I think that mixed with the stunts and cinematography are why I come to see this movie you know coming driving to the cinema to see this I was I was listening to the soundtrack Fallout and just just absolutely getting chills and feeling like I was in the scene just by hearing Balf's music alone. Uh, you know, I, I can't under under sing the praises of that. To I, you know. I I agree with everything apart from in this film. I do think the cinematography and it's not action scenes shot incredibly. Those, more, again, it's... I go back to those dialogue scenes. <laughs> They've changed up the style here. I mean, they kind of harken back to the first Mission Impossible, but they kind yeah. of overdo it with these. They're called Dutch angles, where yeah, you where you very, kind of like very twist angles. the camera. <laughs> but every scene that isn't an action scene is shot in a close up, and it's it's too much. It's distractingly too much. Like and every like it's all out of out of not out of shape, but you know, like they're all Dutch shots. They're all close ups. I was just thinking, yeah. like it looks okay <laughs> on a big screen, but you put this on a TV. I was just like, this is such a big film, and they're in these big sets. But I, especially, I found this mostly in the nightclub scene, uh, partway through the film, probably about halfway midpoint, I imagine. Um, it just felt like we've gone into this amazing-looking nightclub, and then boom, we're only looking at faces. Yeah. Like I got no sense of space, of scale, of like of this incredible setting that they were in. Everything was just like I will agree. It was Tom Cruise's face, and then like a little bit to the sides. <laughs> Yeah, I will agree. Like thinking back to that scene now, we've got this big grandiose sort of party um, in Venice in this open courtyard, and we only get to see a really small, like private VIP bar section. Really, I mean, uh, and it becomes a little bit more of a for a a small costume drama for ten minutes, where it becomes a little bit more um, about sort of power plays. But I just think that the whole the whole actions was done incredibly well in this movie i I agree with you that there is a lot of nods to the original first film i think the the brian de palma dutch angles you're talking about are are very yeah they're perhaps overdone i did like how they were sort of introduced in the scene where um henry zerny's character kittredge is kind of warning ethan about what's to come and there's this sort of dread and sort of real foreboding that comes with that angle. Like you're literally staring up the nostrils of these two guys and the score is rumbling and building in the background. And it does feel like this real sense of danger, but you're right. I think whenever that translates into action scenes, they look a little bit more like the shot in the GoPro. Sometimes I do think that the stuff I think with, um, with Ethan Hunt 
on the motorbike, even though that's the big sort of selling piece promotionally of the movie um, before coming into it. I think some of that did feel a little bit like a little bit obvious and stagey, but the train sequence though, when, once we get off the motorbike, Ethan jumps off the cliff and we get this big chase sequence at the end. It is pretty crazy. And they actually did yes. crash a train. I mean, it's not as big as the movie, obviously, but they, they got a two car train and Tom Cruise really is on top of it going 60 miles an hour. And yeah, it's pretty thrilling stuff. I mean, he'll do, anything <laughs> and you can tell because it, it does look brilliant it like and that whole tra- train sequence uh itself is just is just excellent um and you know with with you know we had a very similar kind of <laughs> sequence in indiana jones and it just shows you like indiana jones uh that sequence you know apart from maybe <laughs> aging, was passable the train sequence itself was passable but this is on a different <sighs> level though did you know chris that the uh the original planned opening for this film and you see bits of it in the flashbacks was a like twenty five minute de aged Tom Cruise sequence. I'm glad they didn't go that route. To be honest, I'm I'm, really I'm half glad, but it leads me into like another issue with our other <laughs> villain, Gabriel. I don't know who he is. <laughs> I don't care about him. I don't care about him at all. And uh, I I, I just, think there's, like, there's time. Come off Henry Cavill, but like this is like we're supposed to feel like he's some like menacing figure from Tom Cruise's past, but that's it. Like I get nothing more. I got, you know, I think S.A. Morales does a really good job of, like, portraying that menace. It's a different type of menace. It's sort of more of, like, a like a corporate bad guy, but with a little bit of muscle. Um, I think that his sort of just conviction, and I think he, Morales does a really good job of not over-emoting in his scenes. I think, in a way, that it just makes him seem like just a guy who completely believes himself and, and everything that he's trying to do. I do think they've kind of left a lot of scope to explore more of that character in the next movie. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's a couple of um, flashbacks to things we've never seen. It harkens back even before the first Mission Impossible mm-hmm. movie. Um, and we just get like Tom Cruise, the back of Tom Cruise's head. <laughs> um, this is quite funny. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the stuff I like in this movie. You know, it's kind of goofy at times. I think this is maybe one of the goofier um mission impossible movies uh intentionally anyway yeah i I just i just wanted i wanted a i wanted a better villain we just came off henry cavill and i just thought that's hard so i do have this like slight inkling that gabriel is not real i think he's a robot that that would be and I think I think Still the like, AI has designed Gabriel. No way, man! I think yeah, I think they're using he drew, the mass he drew, he drew the mass technology. They're using the mass technology, uh, and he is the one person that might stop Tom Cruise in his tracks because of how he looks. I've just got what if it? What if it's actually he gets demasked and it's Tom Cruise from the future trying to stop them from from stopping AI? <laughs> that would be mad. That would be mad. Um, However, I guess like as villains go, um, he does end up uh, killing one of the team. And there's this whole, th- you know, yes. I think Ethan Hunt, uh, you know, the living manifestation of destiny, the the mind reading, shape shifting incarnation of chaos that he is. Uh, <laughs> I think yeah, uh, yeah. they've developed this kind of Batman rule around him over the last couple films, uh, at least from what I can remember. Don't like, get romantically involved with this guy. Well, that, but also, like, nobody dies. Like, he is the, like, he's the guy who's like, apart from evil henchmen, nobody dies. My team doesn't die. 
Um, so like this big thing happens in the middle of the film, which I don't know, Chris, I might need you to explain this to me. Why do they kill Ilsa? Why, why, why does that happen? Yeah, I'm a little bit confused with that too, to be honest. I think there was no sort of warning that that was going to happen. I, I had no idea they were going to kill off that character. I'm a really big fan of Rebecca Ferguson in that role. Um, I don't know. I think maybe they just were really excited about the prospect of having a different dynamic with Healy Atwell. And- but doesn't that lead into that idea of like, there's not enough capable women? <laughs> oh, no, no. Sorry, not enough capable Not enough space for two capable women in the same film. Yeah. I, I, I think that to push the romantic journey between Elsa Faust and Ethan Hunt would be really difficult because I think the whole thing is that they're too similar and that, I don't know, maybe they could just be the ultimate power couple they ever existed. I, I, I I'm, I'm talking myself out of that. You know? Yeah, I, I think it was complicated. I think it was really well set up in the last, you know, two movie, two movies before. Um, it is a strange choice. I don't, I don't know if I was necessarily angry with it, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel necessary. It didn't feel like the film was leading to that. Like in that, like in that, setting they were just like oh yeah by the way one of you is gonna die tonight yeah okay um and 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 the fact that like you know he was like you know you could choose ethan between like this woman you met a day ago and ilsa who you have this like relationship that spanned years but i was ilsa i'd be a little pissed that he even contemplated (laughs) not (laughs) you know i mean i guess he doesn't decide in the end but it just it just reminded me of like I don't know. Have you heard of the term fridging? Yeah, very fridging, much like a yeah. co- comic book thing where it's like you you kill off like a female character to to hurt the main character to to push them into this thing because later on in the film, this idea that like if he kills Gabriel, um, that could be the end of everything, and and you know oh because of Ilsa, uh, he might go ahead and do it. But and I, I realize I'm being really negative about this film. But Tom Cruise in this film, I thought this was one of his weakest performances because in the moment of that sequence where he's like, "Oh, should I kill you or not?" I just didn't. I just didn't feel it from him. I didn't feel like he was angry about Ilsa's death. She kind of died, and they don't really talk about it again. He, he doesn't seem emotionally affected by it. Yeah, and I think he just yeah. kind of looks constipated by the decision on the train. <laughs> constipated, man. I maybe have to catch all that aftermath stuff again to kind of really have a cemented opinion on it i think yeah it's kind of sad that they kind of dropped that really really quickly because it was a big part of his sort of emotional turmoil and confusion in the last couple of movies um so yeah i'm, I'm a little bit perplexed by that i'm perplexed that um that ethan's wife doesn't make an appearance uh again um yeah, after I guess... kind of kind of the ending of the last movie though they they're kind of they're temporarily, well, you know, uh, uh, knowing each other anyway, and they're not they're not romantically involved. I think she's still involved with her husband, the oh, scientist yeah, guy. Um, but you know, you know, I mean, there's just it's just strange that like you know they were together at the end of the last movie, and then we don't even get like a sort of acknowledgement. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And he doesn't. Um, uh, he he doesn't kill uh Pom Clementi's character either in the, no, in the, in the hallway. Seemed, which, somebody says which is weird to me that she's got a pulse, so I think she'll be making a return in the next. Oh movie. no, no, that's in the train sequence. I mean, um, in the oh sorry, in in an action scene, which is very smart because obviously all of these action s- sequences are, are filmed on IMAX and they're like in these 
vastly huge scenarios and then we go to this action scene that's in like the smallest alleyway yes, in Venice. I did love that and it is a brilliant sequence. But it's he decides not and, to kill yeah. her at the end and I was like, I don't understand why you're not killing her right now. He kills so many henchmen. It's because she's a woman. <laughs> that's old fashioned. I know, no, Hunt. I know, I know. But <laughs> I'm not saying we I, should kill women, I, by the way. <laughs> Before we get branded, just another one of those white dude podcasts. <laughs> there, yeah, yeah. There's. I think he just sees... Oh, it sounds so silly, but when you're watching the movie, it's fine. But it sounds so silly to mention it now. I think there is a sort of recognition she has of defeat in that moment that she cannot, yeah. be, she cannot believe that this guy beat her. And there's a sort of sadness. And I think Ethan's got this sort of magical ability to see the true intent in everybody. He's, he would also be like, I don't know, killing someone when they're down. Like yeah. she wasn't, she wasn't getting back up. So maybe, maybe I'll take that point away just a little bit, but he is that guy. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a, he acts out of necessity. And I think that's a, you know, that's a consistency in the character. That scene is really cool though. I think, yeah, it's very cool. The other, we haven't mentioned the other two scenes really. I think the airport sequence where him and Hayley Atwell's character Grace are introduced to each other and it's this really fun sort of like old espionage cat and mouse sort of stuff happening in the airport that's really, really fun and quite funny. Yeah. And I think that's Tom Cruise when he's at his best is in this part of the movie. Um, you know, we get the old charming sort of uh, version of him yeah. back again. But again, it's it's in like a not so much like big action sequence, but it's in, yeah. it's in an, an action tense sequence. Yes. This is like, um, have you seen that video of a sketch? I can't remember the guy. Is it like Tim Robinson? It's not Tim Robinson. Um, well, oh no, it is Tim Robinson. And right. the sketch is he's on The Bachelor. Um, but okay. he gets kicked off The Bachelor because he's only there for the zip line. He just wants to use the zip line <laughs> and go into the pool. Have you seen that? No, I have not. It's a brilliant sketch. You should you should go watch it. It's really funny. But I just feel like Tom Cruise is the is the zipline guy. He's yeah. he's here to do the stunts and everything yeah. else is secondary. <laughs> yeah, he he is on like a personal mission here. <laughs> um yeah, I think we remember seeing that um clip of him yelling at the person for not wearing their mask. It just feels like he puts so much pressure on the the mechanicians of of how this thing is gonna work and like I need to hit this point, I need this point, I need to be on my mark, I need to jump off the cliff ten times. I let go of the bike too early. It's all about sort of like what he, his input into the thing. But I think he lets everybody have the shine. I think him, um the dynamic between him, Luther and Benji is very, very cute. As always, I just went out. Those three guys yeah. are sparring off each other. I'm like, this is this is nice. Yeah, yeah there <laughs> um, were some really good comedy moments um, that came from those two together, and and it did feel almost like quite slapstick in a way. And I, yeah. I don't mean that as a criticism. I'll try to stop criticism, criticizing, but I do really you did enjoy like it. this movie, right? <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I just had massive issues with a lot of the plot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was part still one of the most film. entertaining films I've seen in the cinema this year though like it is pure entertainment i just yeah. i just couldn't I, I couldn't turn away from some of the plot this time whereas previously the plot was so thin yeah i didn't care but here the the plot is quite heavy i think I mean, maybe it, when I you're setting up a two-parter it needs to be beefier by nature i don't know maybe <laughs> yeah i'll I'm, I'm stop now i'll stop now Every, those are my main points i've really enjoyed everything <laughs> what did, yeah did you love like me, did you enjoy the the room? The room sequence in the Fiat Excellent. is 
so fun with the whole them being uh, chained to each other with handcuffs and the whole dynamic of having she can't drive a car ripple there we go (laughs) <laughs> she, yeah, I, she, yeah, I, I know that. that, but I'm trying not to say. <laughs> I try to, um, yeah, well, maybe she, she's not confident with that level of a car, a spy, because she's not yeah, used to that. Okay, I, her, like drift round corners in a police car. I mean, I know, I know she was hitting everything, but they were narrow streets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and the joke is that oh, it's Italy. It's impossible to drive in Italy. Everybody knows yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's that stuff is so fun with the with um. With the interior shots of the car, they seem, I don't know, were they actually like in like some sort of car on wires twisting this thing around? Some amazing, like, like head scratching um, stunts going on in this thing. But yeah. the whole, the whole chase, like I mentioned before, with Palm Clementine chasing behind in this mammoth car, just like crashing free and having a great time at it. It's just so fun and it's proper edge of your seat stuff. Exactly what you want for a Mission Impossible movie. It um yeah it delivered for me yeah yeah uh, on an entertainment front absolutely yeah. delivered I think and uh, I am I'm, I'm I'm very excited to see where it goes in part two it's not like it leaves on a massive cliffhanger but obviously yeah. our main our, our main kind of um, mission level is not across... finished yet you know yeah yeah it's it's um. Yeah, and you still feel like you got like a full movie here. It doesn't like it feels like its own start, middle, and end. You know, and I, yeah. kudos for that for for really kind of delivering on that. Um, but yeah, it also cause... also leads as a like slightly like an origin story for potentially a, a passing over of the baton. Like Haley Atwell's character is very yeah. much supposed to be she's this. A, she's adopted you know, here, really, isn't she? Yeah, like the idea is that Ethan Hunt was also some form of criminal. Uh, turned um, IMF agent. Um, whenever they say what IMF stands for in the film, I can't oh, yeah. laugh. And I think Impossible they kind of <laughs> laugh a little bit in, in one of the scenes where they explain it to the head of national security. It's Maybe great. But yes, she, <laughs> Hayley Atwell is very much like this, you know, the, the, the amateur who's about to become, you know, part of the team um, that is almost this parallel of early days of Ethan Hunt, or I think that's the idea. But I did find it interesting because we also had um, a rookie or, you know, a newcomer hand him the mission at the start. And there was also the character, there was another um, CIA agent who spends his time with Shea Wiggum. Yes. Um, I can't remember the name of the guy. But he has a scene where, you know, he's talking about like... I I think the character is called... Okay, there you go. He he mentions when they're talking about like you know who what power does the entity have and who should have it, and he kind of advocates for the fact that like he's on the side of everyone and Ethan Hunt might have a point. You should destroy it. And it's sort of like these these are all like young characters, and maybe we're looking at like they could be the next team of IMF agents. Mm-hmm. Were you getting that vibe at all or? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think Tom Cruise, to be honest, is smart enough to know when to call it a day. I don't think he's somebody... I mean, he's spoken in interviews about this, about people asking him about passing the baton. And he's like, to be honest, I just... I don't... I haven't got that in mind. And who can blame him, though? I mean, are you here to see Mission Impossible? Or are you here to see Tom Cruise? I would argue both, but I'm probably more here to see Tom Cruise. I'm here to see the type of film that 
having Tom Cruise in it promises to be. I don't think I'm here. But would it be this type of movie without Tom Cruise? Would it have the precision, the the just the sheer the sheer you know effect of having him do all his own stunts, having just the precision of like. I'm going to do everything the most crazy way possible and it's going to be filmed the best way possible. We we can shoot it and we're going to have this crazy score. I don't think if you have another star leading it, they would have that much sort of input that he brings to the Oh, it's true. Like his, yeah, the power he holds is is kind of... I almost see him as a co-director in these movies. I have no doubt that he has so much say in what goes into these. He is a producer, isn't he, as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I I know what you mean, I know what you mean, but it's it's the type of film that Tom Cruise being in promises to deliver, and I think that's why I'm there. I'm not sure if I'm always here for him. Um, Oh, I am. (laughs) There's a screen presence, I don't know. It's just something about it. I can't put my finger on it. It's a bit creepy, it's a bit creepy. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe we should watch eyes wide shut and maybe that'd be a perfect movie <laughs> yeah he doesn't talk about that film though, does he <laughs> <laughs> uh watch well, well, i was gonna say tom cruise before we get into like stanley kubrick territory i um, do like him and christopher mcquarrie together they, they make a good team they make a good team you're right probably not gonna hand the bat on because i think that was the idea with jeremy renner a few films ago definitely not renovations happening. But Jeremy Renner from Renovations himself. Uh, But I do feel like, um, I don't know, I feel like they might just leave those characters there if anybody did want to pick them up at any point. Um, You know, you never know. Hayley Atwell might be the next big action star. I'm not saying she should be or they should carry on the Mission Impossible films after the next one. I don't know if it's supposed to be the final one. Like. Like I think Haley Atwell's brilliant in this, but I think she is best when she's bouncing off somebody else um, and having a fun dynamic between with another character. I don't see her leading, you know, being the go-to lead on a project like this. I don't, you know, see everybody going to, you know, Haley Atwell. We need, we need you, or you know, it's just not gonna be like that. Um, uh, let's wait to the next one. Wait to the next. Wait one, to the man. next one. Maybe they, they are to- they are massaging that sort of that that um that process of kind of bringing her up for the IMF. So um, I'm yeah. There is scope. There is. There is. But yeah, no. I'm. But yeah, that's good. That's good. So we recommend you guys check. Well, myself more than Alex. Alex, you still like the movie. I'm, I'm I still teasing, like the movie. But, yes. But we definitely recommend you guys check out. Uh, Mission Impossible before Barbenheimer takes all the screens away from it. Um, go see it on the biggest screen possible. Um, I know we everybody says that about everything, but you know these movies need to be loud and big. Um, yeah. yeah, do not watch this at home. Well, do if you can't watch it in, in a movie <laughs> theater or cinema. But if you can, please go out your way to see it. It's um, it's really fun, and you don't really need. I mean, it helps if you've seen the the last few movies, of course, to have the attachment to the characters, but. You can see this, you know, without having any sort of previous knowledge, because the magic of these movies is, I know you said it's plot heavy, but the plot kind of washes over you and you you don't mind it sometimes. So, yeah, go see it for the action. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Train sequence in particular. Incredible. Incredible stuff. We have watched another uh, BFI, Sight and Sound, greatest films of all time, Blind Spot. Oh, I just heard people turn the podcast off. 
<laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We should start doing these at the start of the podcast, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they'll definitely know us. <laughs> Make them wait for Mission Impossible. That's it. We're not putting it. a time code in. We're not putting a time code in. You can't skip to the Mission Impossible review. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm joking. We, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. You should stick around for these other good fun. If you're still listening, you're like, ah, oh, maybe I'll turn it off. Like, you know, you don't have to have seen the film just to enjoy the conversation. I think that's right. Anyway, yeah. Journey to Italy, a 1954 um, Italian film, but English language. Sure. There's a whole thing about that, apparently, and having to redub it and all this kind of stuff going on. Uh, yeah, so you and I, we actually, we kind of watched it together, didn't we, Chris? This we kind of, like, in a very manic way, watched it together and probably could have done a better setup. <laughs> but we we did have a, a video call and we watched the movie together and it was quite quite fun, actually. Um, yeah. This, this cute, is cute yeah. alert. <laughs> it was very cute. Um, I think we reacted to the movie differently than we would have reacted if we were watching it by ourselves. Um, probably saw the humor more <laughs> yeah. um, this time around. Um, but it was like, a really good experience. I mean, um, yeah, I, I really like this movie. I haven't talked to you about it yet. Did did you feel the same? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, we, we watched it together, so I think we both got a, a general the, idea that, yeah. that we both both enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I, I, I liked it um, quite a lot, quite a lot. It's a, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a short film compared to some of the others we've compared been to, yeah. reviewing <laughs> recently. Movies. It was, um, yeah, so it was directed by Roberto Rossellini. And um, it tells the tale of uh, like an English couple traveling to Italy and uh, they're in this kind of um, point in their marriage where, I mean, it could go either way. And the film kind of uh, delves into that. There's, I think they mentioned early on at the start that this is the first time they've just been mm. together as a couple since the beginning of their marriage, which was maybe like, two years i can't remember the exact amount of time right okay and they're kind of like oh wait we've 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 spent a whole marriage just around other people talking to other people they're clearly of a of a social class where they're probably out to dinner parties and partying uh quite a lot and here they are just in a car together on a um, just arrived on a journey like, to italy yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. And, and they're arguing and, pretty early on <laughs> it doesn't take long <laughs> yes yeah and then and then you uh completely uh, ruined a- a- any sense of um, newness to this film by re- letting me know that the actor who plays Alex also voices Shere Khan in the Jungle Book, and then from then on out, and this is two minutes in, yeah. I couldn't hear anybody else but <laughs> Shere Khan, and all I could think about the whole time was Man Cub. Man Cub. Yeah, yeah. Man he's, Cub. He's the ultimate like stiff upper lip. Brit, isn't he here? Um, yeah, yeah. It turns out, yeah, he's not Excellent really a voice actor. Voice. He just did his own voice for that Jungle Book movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't get out of your head, and he, he kind of embodies Shere Khan on a, a, in a human way as well. There's something he's very. A grump. <laughs> he's, he, he's more than a grump. He's a bit of a. He's a bit of a yeah, not a nice guy. Is the no, funny way of isn't. saying it. He isn't. He's. He's bored of uh, his wife, played by the always, always incredible uh, Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, uh, he's 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 complete. He's completely unless her know it as her. well. He very, lets very her know often. it. He doesn't want to like. They're in Italy. She wants to go off and see the sights and see the history. Um, he just he cannot be asked. He would rather sit around and uh, talk to other women 
at one point it even looks like he's gonna uh, well he does pick up a prostitute um and it looks <laughs> like he's gonna follow through with it uh he has a, the eye for the younger woman um but he's still even really horrible to the prostitute because she's italian and she doesn't fully speak english he's just like in the car just calls her a, a shameless brazen hussy just like to her face and she's like what was that and he's like oh, nothing, nothing. from this film <laughs> like he's he's just a dick he's horrible he's really not nice um whereas whereas um catherine played by ingrid bergman she's you know she's she realizes the marriage is at this at this crossroads um she's not sure which way she wants it to go and she has we mainly follow her, I would say, in this film, as she kind of sees the sights of Italy. But it almost turns into a bit of a travelogue, would you yeah, say? Like yeah, we, yeah. We get to visit the museums with her. We get to visit. Yeah, we really are in Naples, aren't we? Of like, uh, of like these bodies. There's a lot of death. Um, yes, sort of it looms a lot of <laughs> a lot of old Italian men just giving her tours around. Yeah, places. and shouting that her coin her lady. <laughs> yeah, lady, follow me. <laughs> Come this way. <laughs> which is which is where we found the humor, obviously, watching it together. Um, but it was kind of like, even though it's like this, almost like this travelogue is. If it was really interesting, but you you almost get to see her kind of realize the grandiose nature of life. Um, and and how death is just like a normal part, and she's she's wondering about her place in the world and her relationship, and I guess it brings all these kind of very big, heavy, heady themes to mm. the to, to to the forefront of her mind, um, which makes her question whether she wants to keep living with Alex. Um, well, it's it's funny that like the thing that you mentioned at the start of the movie, we establish this is the first time they've really properly seen each other. And so maybe we presume up until this point in their marriage, even though such time has passed, that they are actually strangers at this point. And it's like telling two strangers, right, you guys are married, you're in love. And uh, they're just completely two different human beings. And they've realized that. And the movie is really about two people who are actually suffering from really extreme loneliness, despite being together. Um they're just like two sort of ghosts hovering around each other. And, 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 but I think, you know, I think uh, Bergman's character, Joyce, uh, Catherine Joyce, I think she makes more of a heavy effort <laughs> to really kind of make this thing work. But Alex is just, you know, he, he, he lets all Alex's down. I'm sorry, man. Um, yeah. I love I, you. But he, Alex, we, us Alex's, we disown that Alex. Yeah. We don't like <laughs> yeah I mean, he, he openly says, I'm going to go to the island of Capri and like party with women. And, and uh, yeah, well, what do you think about that? And then, <laughs> and then comes home two days later um, and doesn't even say anything to his wife. You know, they are both so ashamed of their relationship and so hateful towards each other that. Catherine, when he comes in in the middle of the night, pretends to be asleep on the sofa and not even greet him. And he makes no effort to even greet her. He just goes straight to his bedroom. And uh, and then they don't talk until the next morning. I mean, it's so, it's so sad, you know, that, that, that so these two people have wasted so much of their lives um, devoted to something so cold and empty. And uh, although that is challenged at the end of the movie, um, yeah which is probably really interesting it's a really interesting moment actually yeah which is probably the moment you know whether whether you 
you fully buy the film or, or fully fall in love with the film is, is probably how you maybe feel about the ending. Um, so they, they, you know, towards the end of their trip, they're like, yep, screw it. Let's get a divorce. This isn't working. Let's not do this anymore. Um, and then they almost get stuck in traffic as this kind of big parade almost looks like a, like it looks like maybe they're parading a coffin or something. Yeah. Um, and the streets are lined with some sort of, it's a festival of some sorts. Yeah. Yeah. And they get out and they're like, yeah, this isn't working. Well, bloody hell. And then (laughs) bloody um, hell, bloody hell, bloody hell, just, just, just stop talking to me old, old chap. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and Catherine gets swept up in the crowd and they're separated and they're kind of calling out for each other as they can't get to each other for this, yeah. this moment. This is seconds then, after they've just confirmed that they are getting a divorce as well. Yeah, and then that moment of of being separated and and not being able to get to each other uh, reminds them that they are very much dearly in love. And, oh my darling, what are we doing? What are we? Aren't we stupid? Let's kiss. Mm. Yeah. No, I liked it. I liked that. A lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I like that a lot, actually, because I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's as face value as your take as you know as as you're you're seeing it because I think the performance is actually quite noticeably very stilted for the very first time in this movie from George Sanders. Um he up until this point has been excellent. I think it's a w- bit of a weird line delivery, and it feels like a person who is just completely you know, maybe caught up in the moment, but lying to himself completely as well. Um, and I think the cycle will only continue after the movie ends. I don't see it as a, as a romantic, lovely ending. I th- I, th- I see it as a as a further damnation of these two lonely souls. Oh, that's that is an interesting way to look at it. I I guess for me, I did see it as like why like it doesn't make any sense, and like it just looked like the abused woman. It could, back you know, it could be that could have been the intention of the movie. It could, could have tried be. to sweep I you mean, off your feet. But uh, that being said, I, there is a um, there's a there's a good like 15, 20 minute clip on YouTube. I don't know what it's from of uh, Martin Scorsese talking about the okay. journey to Italy, and he definitely kind of romanticizes that ending. Um, in a way that even I was like, oh, maybe I have a point, Marty. It's maybe too. I, I I think the movie's too quick, um, in introducing the history of these characters and also just the resolve at the end is too quick for it to be perceived as emo- emo- emotional or romantic. You know, I I didn't feel like that anyway. I, I can only react in the way a movie makes me feel, and I think you know. For everything that the voyage to Italy does really, really well, I think that emotion was the only thing that was leaving out for me during this whole experience. Maybe because we were laughing at the things that we probably shouldn't be laughing at, <laughs> um, that might have a big part to play in it. But I think the journey, for lack of a better pun, um, is is so quick here that I I struggled to kind of really get romantically involved. Um, sorry, emotionally involved with these characters. Um, this isn't a threesome at the end of the day, um, but. Yeah. Um, this this whole journey is just very sad and you're just witnessing two people that you're like guys just just do what you just want to do whatever makes you happy i just want to see well i want to see Catherine happy i don't want to see alex happy you can you can go and smoke yourself and drink yourself to death buddy but Catherine, i think um is the real sort of victim here and uh yeah all this all the imagery of her going around naples and seeing images of death and 
you know, it's just a red flag for her at every every possible turn. And yeah, I wanted better for her. That's why I took out of this experience. Yeah. Eating spicy Italian food. Uh, yeah, which I didn't really know Italian food spice. Maybe like tastes back in in uh, in in the nineteen fifties was just so like basic that even pepper was spicy to people. <laughs> that's why <laughs> perhaps that's what it was. It is the um, it's the sensibilities of of the nineteen fifties that 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 does lead me to believe that the ending is supposed to be romantic. Like okay, it's happy ending. But you're right. I I prefer your way of looking at it. It didn't ruin the film for me. I just came at a, you know, I just knocked head, heads with it. Yeah. Like, I would. It was just like a bit, a bit like, oh, oh, okay. I didn't know I was supposed to feel this way. I, I, I would, can, I can see that. Yeah, I just wanted it to be a little bit more like cynical. Like it had been the whole film of like, yeah, these people just aren't going to work out. Like you shouldn't be rooting for them. Um, and it, and it's good that they're not together. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe that sounds really bad for me. Maybe they mm. should. I don't know. I need to uh, delve into the reaction or, or the intent of of Rossellini and his see if there's any interviews or any dossiers about him talking about the movie because you know, I it's that's just how I feel at the end of it. I I feel like it was cynical. Um, but yeah, I like that. It, yeah, well, maybe it's a better movie. <laughs> maybe, I want you know, to rewatch it with your thoughts in mind. You know, like I, I, I or just the ending. Just watch anyway. the ending. Yeah, I might do that just to like. I'd like that idea of like, yeah, like it's this false happiness and the cycle continues because that's that's, that's a very relatable thing that people do in relationships not just romantically but mm. in general people people will tell you know we're our own worst narrator and we tell ourselves whatever whatever to get us through a situation you know that's part of the the human survival instinct um you know hopefully i hope everybody's he's listening and your 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 my relationships are, are certainly not like that but you know i i can understand that different relationships like wherever that's working or, or friendships can definitely be like that and i i saw that in in these characters um so yeah i thought it was very interesting do i think it's like a top 100 movies of all time I, I i can see the case for it but personally like for me i you know i i, I wouldn't put it up in that level i think it's a really good respect respectable yeah. movie um i can see why it could probably be a, seen as contemporary for the time because in, in the 50s of this golden age of Hollywood, we're in this midst of very like romanticized version of Hollywood romances. And it's yeah. really cool. Obviously, these Italian filmmakers were really cutting edge in the fact that they were sort of looking at relationships in a little bit more of an obscure way. And uh, yeah, it's kind of is kind of a bridging the gap between the Hollywood romance and the European sensibility. Yeah. So I it can was... see why it's important. It was seen as very kind of like revolutionary at the time. Uh, if you watch like Martin Scorsese clip, he talks about the fact that Cahiers du Cinema, the uh, the French um, magazine that Godard and Truffaut um, were a massive part of, um, they they heralded it as this big kind of revolutionary um, thing, and I guess maybe the new wave of like Italian cinema that informed them and, and, and had a great film. So yeah, no, I thought that was uh, yeah interesting. Like you said, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it in my top one hundred films of all time. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good film. Really liked it. Fantastic. So that has been the episode uh, for this week. Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Uh, there's commas. There's dashes. There's um, yeah colons. Uh, no numbers. <laughs> no no one. Yeah no one is uh, alphabetical. It's written. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we're getting <laughs> off track here. One of the biggest films of the summer. Uh, but. Literally, a, you know, a week or two before potentially the two big ones, as we mentioned at the start of the episode, uh, 
Barbie and Oppenheimer. I keep wanting to just right. squish them together into Barbenheimer. But the Barbenheimer weekend we? is coming. It has come for everybody listening. And uh, that will be the big episode next week where we will discuss both those films, I'm sure, at length. And I'm really looking forward to doing this. Really excited. Should we do this? Right. Don't tell me which movie that you prefer. But whenever we come to record next week's episode, because obviously we we, we video chat, um, I want to see you wearing either a pink or a black T-shirt representing which movie you preferred. So I know as soon as I see you, a very visual element to bring to this audio, uh... to this audio experience. It'll be no, it's completely just for you and me. But we'll 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 translate that through the medium of English language um, to anybody listening. But you know, I like it. I like it. Let's do it. (laughs) Maybe be a split. Maybe if you've got a black and black and pink split down the middle, that could be interesting too. Um, Yeah. But no, yeah, really, really excited. Next week's going to be amazing. Yes. So uh, you know. Keep up to date. Follow us on all the podcast things. Rate us on all the podcast things. Those things being Spotify, Apple, Amazon, other places, Google. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at the Film Angle. Same on TikTok at the Film Angle, and I believe now on Threads at the Film Angle as well. So uh, mm-hmm. follow us there. But that's been the episode for this week. My name's Alex, and I'm Chris. The living manifestation of destiny. Goodbye. Me? <laughs>